0: The city has been at the center of fighting since the civil war broke out in 2011, but in recent weeks, the battle for Aleppo has become much more intense, and caught in the middle are 2 million people. Food is scarce, hospitals have been bombed, humanitarian aid has not been able to reach the city, and earlier this week, the UN warned that water supply has been cut off for about a week. On the line with me to discuss the situation in Aleppo is Dave DeRoche, a professor at the National Defense University in Washington, D.C. We discuss the strategic significance of Aleppo in the context of the Civil War. That is, why fighting for control of the city of Aleppo is so consequential to the trajectory of the entire conflict. He describes the various fighting forces that are converging on Aleppo to participate in this fight, their disparate motives, the role of the United States and Russia, and of course, the dire humanitarian consequences of this particularly brutal fight. As always, visit com to subscribe on iTunes, get the app for free, get in touch with me if you like to suggest people I should interview or topics I should cover or let me know anything else that might be on your mind. And now here is Dave DeRoche of National Defense University who is speaking in his personal capacity. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Eslanyan from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting season four, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
1: At the start of the war, it was the most populous city uh, in Syria, and it was also the um, commercial center of of Syria. It historically has been more hostile to the Assad regime than Damascus, than probably any city other than Hama. In 1998, when I was there, there was a you could you could there was a noticeable uh, increase in the security presence the internal security presence in aleppo versus in damascus Um, so the regime has always seem to have known that it was it was a problematic place in terms of loyalty to it, because it's close to the Turkish border, because it's uh, close to the area where the Kurds are, because it's close to the area where Daesh is, it's sort of at the intersection of everything. And, um, you know, it's it has been fought over for, you know, since the since the conflict arose and the Assad regime has not been able to take it. Um, That's pretty significant. When Russia intervened, they very, very quickly uh, turned the tide, and it went in against the anti-regime forces, which had been on the verge of completely controlling Aleppo, uh, and basically turned it so that, uh, as of you know, last month, Aleppo became completely encircled, and there were three hundred thousand people who were cut off and, within Aleppo. Too. and and and, yeah. and this
0: city itself is divided, right? There is the government-controlled area, which is contains, you know, most of the population, but then there is the rebel controlled area?
1: Well, the rebel controlled area includes the historic city center. So, um, the government controlled the area to the east. And, uh, w- what happened was in July, primarily with, uh, Russian air power, uh, and, uh, a significant, uh, Hezbollah presence, Hezbollah fighting his organized units and some presence of, um, Iranian officered units that were made up of Shi Muslims from Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, um, they were able to take the area around the north of Aleppo and seize what's called the Costello Road, which was the last corridor from Free Syrian Army held territory, opposition territory, into the city center of Aleppo. So, so as of late July, the The historic city center of Aleppo the citadel the the old town was completely cut off uh by the regime forces
0: uh but then my understanding is rebel forces have since broken through that line
1: that's right so um the castello road, which is to the northwest, was cut off by the regime, and what happened a few days ago was the rebel forces, which it appears to be primarily jeshofato, which is the renamed um uh Jeba Nusra and Jabba Nusra to, is
0: the al-Qaeda affiliate.
1: Yeah, but they 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 announced that they broke their ties with al-Qaeda. Um I I don't think anybody <laughs> believes that, but um And and they probably uh,
0: announced it I would imagine because uh they're being sort of tagged with the al-Qaeda moniker made them more vulnerable to Russian and American airstrikes.
1: Exactly. And the, and the, um, the Russian American, uh, operations joint operations agreement was, was based primarily on an agreement to conduct joint coordinated operations against Jabba Nusra. So I think they were trying to get out of that, uh, get out of that joint targeting. So, uh,
0: so this rebranded, uh, formerly Al Qaeda affiliate, um, has, has sort of helped to open up that Costello road that you refer to.
1: No, not the Costello Road. The Costello Road remains in control of the regime. What they did was they attacked to the southwest along the area called Ramusa. And uh, there's uh, an area called Hikmet, which contained a large school that was a former school. It was, I think, a six-story building that got hit pretty spectacularly by two vehicle-borne IEDs. And then there was a sustained artillery barrage followed by an infantry assault against uh, the artillery college in Ramusa, and that fell a few days ago. When the Artillery College fell, uh, that broke the line between, um, that was besieging southwest Aleppo. So now, through the neighborhood of Ramusa, you now have communications between the Free Syrian Army, Jay fatah Stroke Jabba Nusra, and their affiliated groups, and the besieged anti-regime forces in the Aleppo city center. Okay. So, so
0: basically you, you have still a a divided city though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very divided city and the corridor itself. uh, I'm not sure exactly how wide it is, but it, it appears to me to be only about two to three kilometers. And, uh, you know, the range of the Cornet missile, which is the Russian Syrian anti-tank missile choice is five and a half kilometers. So, you know, I, I would not regard it as a, an open corridor until it's eleven kilometers wide. <laughs> okay, so so what, what, why does
0: this matter in, in the context of of what is now you know a five year six year Syrian civil war? What's the significance of this particular battle?
1: Well, I tell you, if if. Um Aleppo had fallen to the regime, that would have been a crippling blow for the anti-regime forces. Um, As I said, it was the largest city in Syria, the commercial capital, and it's the center of gravity in northern Syria. So what you would have instead would be a number of small movements fighting along the Turkish periphery. Uh, against uh, the regime and against Daesh in some areas. Uh, And basically the opposition would be these peripheral groups as well as some peripheral groups in the south and along the Iraqi border in the south fighting against the regime. But you wouldn't have a unified front against the Assad regime and its Iranian Hezbollah and Russian allies. So it would have been disastrous for, for the opposition.
0: Uh, and just to be clear, the presence of ISIS of, of Dash is is muted, right? In in this in Aleppo, yeah,
1: it's n- not an issue in Aleppo. Um, the um, Dash is is located primarily to the east of Aleppo. Uh, there was a Syrian airbase that had been encircled and besieged for almost a year by Daesh. And when Russia uh, intervened with their air power, almost the first thing they did, and really, there have only been two significant Russian actions against Daesh. One was relieving that air base that was besieged by Daesh, and the other one was relieving Palmyra. Other than that, Almost all of the Russian air power has not been directed against Daesh, but rather in support of the Bashar al-Assad regime.
0: So, what is uh, the U.S. interest in in Aleppo? What what outcome is the United States government trying to um, engineer?
1: Well, I don't. I don't think we're trying to engineer an outcome because honestly, I, I we are bit players in the battle for Aleppo. Uh, I don't think we have any real influence. Um, most of the U.S. military action in Syria is directed not against the overthrow of Bashar al-Assad, but against Daesh. And... Uh, uh You know, we have been arming uh, moderate factions or what we call or perceive as moderate factions of the Syrian opposition, but, you know, a lot of the effective fighting is done by the group we don't want to see prevail, which is, you know, the Jeba Nusra, Jaisal fatah whatever they call themselves on a a given day. So So, so where did they get
0: their um, guns and armaments then to retake uh, uh, their part of Aleppo?
1: Well, good question. So the artillery, the tanks, and the armored personnel carriers that we see appear to me, they're Soviet pattern. They appear to be ex-Syrian army. They appear to be captured. Um, there, um, are reports in the media that, um, uh, Qatar has provided them with surface-to-air missiles, uh, man-powered surface-to-air missiles that uh, supposedly were bought from China. But I, I actually haven't seen those used much. Um, And uh, their uh, RT, the Russian propaganda channel, uh, showed a supposed cache of U.S. weapons, um, but most of them were um, Turkish or locally produced copies Um, with the capture of the artillery college. Um, they captured a number of uh, heavy howitzers uh, and mm-hmm. several stores of rockets. So it's, it's um, basically so, mostly
0: cap, like captured or repurposed. It's not like any I, I government think, is specifically funding them to, or, or, or that we know of.
1: Well, I, I think that there has been a lot of press reporting saying that Cutter, uh, um, you know, depending on which faction you're talking about. I mean, the United States. To the groups that we support, we provided the TOW missile, which is extremely effective. Um, But the United States has boxed from providing surface-to-air missiles, Mm -hmm. which is what the rebels asked for. Um, And, um, yeah, so it's it's, it's a hodgepodge. Different factions get different weapons.
0: But it is clear, though, as you said earlier, that on the other side, Russia is using its air power to support uh, Hezbollah and uh, Iranian-led contingents. Uh, in in the the, the battle for uh, Aleppo, and it just seems to me the way you describe it, that's sort of almost inevitable that the regime backed forces would eventually prevail. They seem to have much more sort of support.
1: Well, they they do, but they don't. I mean, um, Sheikh Nasrallah, the the leader of uh, of Hezbollah uh, on on Hezbollah TV, you know, he said, you know, you must fight for Aleppo. Aleppo is the battle for us that's not the kind of thing you say when you're winning, <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like when a guy says, I'm in charge here, you're not really in charge. Um, uh, mercenary, uh, units usually are not the most effective. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, uh, I wouldn't say it's inevitable. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it certainly brings manpower that the Syrian regime could not provide, uh, and it brings uh, technical expertise that the regime cannot. You know, it brings Russian, you know, factory-manufactured precision-guided munitions dropped on the opposition. Vice the Syrian air force dropping barrel bombs, which are indiscriminate, not very precise, and and uh, really only effective as a weapon of terror against civilian populations, not that effective against military uh, facilities. So there, there is some technical ability that they bring there, but it's, it's by no means inevitable. I mean, there are inevitably um – tensions within it. You know, Napoleon always used to say that his favorite enemy to fight was the coalition. Um, There's always tensions and differences to be exploited, but the opposition is fragmented as well. Mm -hmm. I I guess uh, it it just seems,
0: by the way you describe the strategic significance of Aleppo, that if Aleppo um, comes under the control of government-backed forces, that it would force the rebels to retreat to sort of the hinterlands, Uh, that that it seems to be a very sort of decisive moment in in sort of the the trajectory of the entire Syrian civil war.
1: Yes, I I think it would. If if the regime were to take Aleppo, it, w- it would be it would be a serious blow to the rebel movement. It, the rebel movement, which is already fragmented politically, would become geographically fragmented and uh would have a, a hard time claiming, you know, w- without controlling any major population centers in Syria, it's hard to say that you're a legitimate Syrian opposition so it it uh, it would be disastrous for the regime um if if the regime forces in Aleppo are completely routed um it's hard to say i think I think if that were to happen, um, you know, the casualty numbers in Iran are rising. There were some IRGC people just buried in the last week. That's the Iranian
0: uh, guard that you're referring to, IRGC. Iranian
1: Revolutionary Guard, yeah. What we're seeing is that it it appears as though the Iranian Revolutionary Guard is sending officers and senior non-commissioned officers uh, to fight in Lebanon as leaders of cadres that are made up of others. And those others increasingly appear to be um, foreign Shia militias. Um, we don't see, and and scholars have done studies, you know, they read the Iranian newspapers and look at death notices and things. We don't see junior enlisted Iranian Revolutionary Guards people dying in Syria. We only see senior officers and non-commissioned officers. Um, and so, um, that, that indicates a cadre structure.
0: Um, so, uh, I have been following this kind of from the UN perspective over the last few weeks. And mm-hmm. uh, just earlier this week, the the security council held a uh, a sort of special meeting on the humanitarian c- catastrophe in Aleppo, where I think as of today, and we're speaking on, on Tuesday, the latest word is that water has been effectively shut off for most of the 2 million residents uh, of, of Aleppo on, on both sides of, of the front line. Um, and it seems that from like a humanitarian perspective, the the goal has been to pressure Russia to pressure regime backed forces to um not besiege the city, which has been sort of a tactic yeah. in the Syrian Civil War.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I I, I agree with that assessment. And um uh, you know, but one of the interesting things is I don't know how much leverage Russia actually has over the decisions that are made there. I mean, they provide air power, but the majority of the blood, foreign blood spilled has been from the Iranians. And I think it is possible, if not now in the foreseeable future, that the Russian and the Iranian goals will diverge. That, you know, Iran, you know, Iran will say, well look Russia, for you, this is all about playing a broader role in the Middle East, and you know it's about influence, and you know you can take it or leave it, and if you decide to walk away, you can take another bite at it. But for us, this is a religious war uh, to keep one of our co-religionists in power and to keep a base of support for Hezbollah, you know, which from the Iranian perspective is the only viable national resistance movement fighting against the Zionist entity, as the Iranians will say it, uh, to keep them, you know, give them strategic depth and power. So so, uh, Iran has more skin in the game, literally as well as figuratively. And even if our efforts against the Russians are successful – you know, Hezbollah at the Battle of Kasser in 2013, Hezbollah is the battle, is the force that won what was the critical battle for the regime prior to this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Russia may, it is not inconceivable that we could bring Russia over to our way of thinking and still not see the situation on the ground in Aleppo change that much, it, unfortunately. In, in the
0: meantime, like how much just sheer suffering on the ground, uh, on the part of civilians that are trapped in, Unbelievable. in the Can we
1: expect? Unbelievable. I mean, Oh, it, it, this is the worst since Sarajevo. I mean, it is unbelievable. You have 300,000 people, uh, in the center of Aleppo who are besieged by a brutal regime. Every hospital in Aleppo has been hit by an airstrike in a manner that seems to me to be deliberate, which, you know, is a war crime, um, yeah. I mean, it's an arid region to begin with. So so keeping water and sewage and all the p- other public services requires great efforts, even in peacetime. And so, you know, damage to the infrastructure, whether deliberately or incidental to war, is inevitable. And the Syrians pay that price. And, uh, you know, when Russia had the city completely, or well, Russia, when Russia and the regime had the city completely surrounded, they announced that there would be humanitarian corridors. But of course, Uh, That was looked at as a Srebrenica kind of situation where go ahead, leave the city, but then everybody, every male above the age of 15 is kind of peeled off. And five years later, you know, there's a possibility that we'll we'll find them in a mass grave. So uh, there is a great potential for humanitarian. There already is an ongoing humanitarian catastrophe. There is a great potential for an almost unimaginable humanitarian catastrophe. 300,000 people are besieged there. Um, and yeah, it is possible to drive one or two trucks through that, through that path that's been opened up. But as I said, um, you know, I personally, uh, would not drive a car through there, uh, in daylight unless, there was eleven at least eleven kilometers of clearance because that 's the so, range of the cornet anti tank guided missile
0: so, so what what i mean relief can can the besieged civilians expect? I mean is it a situation where um, just sort of images of, of sheer suffer- suffering might shift the geopolitical debate at, at all? Is that the point that we have to get to like masses of starving children? before um, the sort of geopolitics of this changes in such a way to permit more humanitarian access to uh, to the besieged parts of the city?
1: Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm afraid I don't have any good news for you. I mean, it, um, this has been a humanitarian disaster for some time. And I think that absent a a real game-changing image like the Amin Kurdi photograph, you know, the photograph of the three-year-old okay. child who died, how that for a while changed the mood in, um,
0: and yeah, you're Europe, referring to South the, North the, North the yeah, the, the, the child that was sort of, um, shown face down on the beach. In, yeah, you
1: know, yeah. 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 Absent, absent, something like that. I just don't see it happening. I mean, and you know, I, I mean, I, I, I work with a lot of audiences, you know, training audiences from the Middle East and they say, well, you know, this is, this is because these are Arabs, but you know, the, the siege of Sarajevo went on for five years, you know, those were Europeans and, uh, really, you know, it, it, I mean, most people in the West have decided that the, the muddle in Syria is not worth, um, uh, fighting over. Um, you know, it's worth, it's worth countering Daesh. Yes, because that threatens us, but, um, there does not seem to be the um there does not seem to be an urge to overthrow Bashar al-Assad and and you know part of the problem is a lot of the people who are doing a significant amount of the fighting to overthrow Bashar al-Assad are themselves um you know al-Qaeda affiliates they're not the kind of people we want to see in power it it really is a mess it really is a a a uh a wicked problem, which does not have an easy solution, and unfortunately, in these wicked problems, the innocent always seem to suffer the most.
0: All right. Well, Dave, thank I'm, you. I'm so sorry to be
1: so negative. No, yeah.
0: no. I mean, it's 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 I, I, you know you're describing the problem. Um, like you said, that, that that's sort of the the def- definition of, of a quagmire. You know, there's there's no way out. Yeah. Or no easy, yeah. no good way out. Um, well. Thank you for your time. Thank you for explaining the significance of Aleppo. You know, it's it's one of those stories that have has been on my radar for a while and because of this renewed attention by the United Nations, it's becoming, I think a little bit um more uh, it, it it's been sort of been raised, you know, in the humanitarian system as being one of the more dire emergencies in the world. Uh but I suppose it's disconcerting that there is no likely relief for these you know, trapped civilians anytime soon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I mean, it, you know, from Istanbul to Peshawar, uh, the most beautiful city I thought was Aleppo. And uh, to see it suffering like that. Uh, and, and it was only rivaled by Jerusalem. And to see Aleppo suffering like that just, just guts me. But I, I, don't, I don't see a way out that is acceptable to anybody. Uh, Well, thank you for your time, Dave.
0: All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Dave. That was really helpful to me. It will definitely inform some of writing on UN Dispatch. Uh, As always, if you are a regular listener to this podcast, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Actually, don't consider it. Do leave a review on iTunes. It does help spread the visibility of the podcast in the eyes of people who are searching for foreign affairs podcasts on iTunes, which is still the single largest uh, way that people consume this sort of audio content. Otherwise, thank you for recommending it to your friends and, and colleagues. Yeah, I, I've mentioned this before, but this podcast is now reaching several thousand people with each uh, episode, and I think that's largely due to word of mouth, to your recommendations, so thank you for that. Also, one final thing, if you uh, are working for an entity that you think might be interested in reaching uh, my podcast audience with an advertisement, let me know. Uh, we have some ad spots free in September and October And uh, just hit me up on email and I'll let you know about the specs. We'll see you later. Bye.